SportsZilla show starts now. I was on my way in here to cancel your show, but the banter you did with that guy. Well, as we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. Make him part of the show. You get that kid in here. We need more laughs on the show. My boss ordered me to bring you on. All right, this is my show, and it's a serious intellectual hour of discussion. Hey, what's up? Where'd you go to college? Syracuse? No sports, no rock, no information for mindless chatter. We're your station. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. Scoop, they're striping the dome versus Duke. Yeah. It'll look cool, man. White. It's like a white out, an orange out, and a blue out, basically. So they want white, orange in the middle, blue on the other side. So they're encouraging you. I think I have the breakdown of this. Okay. I've got it right here. Okay, go ahead. Fans seated in sections 101 to 106 and 301 to 306 encouraged to wear white shirts, while fans in sections 107 to 110 and 123 to 125, they ask you to wear orange, and fans in sections 111 to 116 and 313 to 319 ask to wear blue. This is the second attempt at doing this. The third one's coming up on February 29th when they play North Carolina. Obviously, they uh, have targeted the opponents that they want to do this against. So you got to represent well. It's well over 31,000, 32,000, 35,000 and change was the record last year against Duke. We want to win. It's a, it's a, it's a Q1 win. It's a big win. It makes the loss a little bit easier against Clemson. But it's a fun thing to do. The crazy aspect of this too is, you know, fans will camp out like a, a week in advance. It's, the, the, it, stu- the students do that thing. Yeah, it's it's Bayheimberg. That's what they call it. Yeah. I, I've asked Jim about it before. He thinks it's fantastic. I think they sent pizzas over one year. The weather's not nearly as cold or bad as it has been some years leading into students camping out in Bayheimberg for big games. So I think in the past he told me they've sent pizzas and things like that over, which is awesome. I mean, that's a great thing for Jim to do. It's a little bit more tolerable this year, but with the construction going on over there and Conrad, Conrad McCrane, as they're calling it, or one of the cranes, and they're working on the dome, they're kind of encouraging you to stay out of the construction zone. So Bayheimberg this year has not been what it's been in years past, and it's disappointing because I kind of get amused to look at some of the pictures. It's like it's just weird to see the dome surrounded, and it looks like a campground. It's well, different this it's year. It's a way for students to get tickets to this game, and they'll do it, man. One person will stay at the tent while the other three are going to classes or grabbing a shower or whatever, you know? Yeah, you got to love Otto's Army uh, student section in the Ozone. They want to minimize the amount of students that are around the construction. Official comment here, I quote, and we got word that we would only be able to do it for a day, for about one day around a week or two ago. So instead of times it's been... The better part of four, five, six, yeah. seven days. It's it's a it's cool. It's a cool thing to think back, like long after you're out of college, and go, yeah, man, we used to camp out outside the dome back when Bayheim was the coach there for the big games, and they called the Bayheimberg. Just a neat story. It's unique to Syracuse. Well, this is a great weekend. You've got that Saturday night, SU Duke, and then it's football all day Sunday. Yeah, I mean, students will camp out for big games on other college campuses. But it's Bayheimberg. That makes it unique to Syracuse. And if I'm going to do that, I'm staying in Bayheimberg. I don't know about you, Scoop. That's where I want to be. I saw the picture today, you know, and you see them every year, tents and everything, and the students in there 
with their laptops or whatever. They're they're doing <laughs> their schoolwork inside a tent in Bayheimberg. We've also got the watch party too. I figure while we're talking about Syracuse and Duke and the game, we'll break down the game a little bit more tomorrow on the Sportzilla Show right here on ESPN Radio ninety seven point seven and one hundred point one. But I thought that was a fun thing to discuss. But you can watch because we're on Twitch right now, twitch.tv, Q Sports Talk, subscribe, but then there's the watch party. Yeah, and that kicks off at seven forty five Saturday night. Syracuse Legends, Roosevelt Bowie and Eric Devendorf. And their live reaction, you can watch and hear their live reaction to the game as it unfolds. So you have the game on TV, or maybe you listen on Brother Station TK99, and then you pull up twitch.tv slash Talk, and you get all this live reaction. Okay, we got Nick Gales in studio with us. Oh, we're going to go to the NBA because there was a brawl. And you would think with the the recent brawl in the Kentucky game, maybe you would learn from that, but that didn't happen. That Kansas, right? Kansas, it was a Kansas, Kansas game. Kansas, yes. Kansas State. Excuse me, yes, Kansas and K-State. But you would think you would learn from that because that got ugly. And then Jim Dolan gets heckled to sell the team. He kind of wasn't happy with somebody, a younger fan that was sitting in MSG, heckling with that chant of sell the team, even though there was thousands doing it. Because there was a pretty crappy brawl at the end of it. Jay Crowder was involved. Alfred Payton was involved. It wasn't as crappy as it could have been. You know, it, it, it seemed to chill out a little bit. But the ugly part of it, I think, is Dolan going after this teenager who's chanting, sell the team and trying to get. I mean, he, he got trolled by a teenager and he had a, a hissy fit. But if if you're it, so you have this big brawl and there's a PR nightmare because it's Kansas and K-State. And, and then you would think that that would at least discourage that for a little while. But who's the NBA team, of course, that has to be immediately involved in one? It would have to be the Knicks. Nick Ailes is in studio. He's a big Knicks fan. What are your overall reactions to that ridiculous brawl? The best part for me was the sniping on social media afterwards. They were taking shots at each other. Did you see any of that? I didn't. I did not. Oh. What do you think of brawl, mean, What about your Knicks being involved in this brawl? I mean, I'm not even surprised. Like, if if it would be anybody, it would be the Knicks. I mean... What are you going to do? Brawls are going to happen. They're grown men. There's nothing I can really do about it. I mean, I'm more upset about the Jim Dolan thing because the guy's a clown. He's been a clown for years, will be a clown for years. I just, I'm over it, man. Well, Marcus Morris was calling Jay Crowder a woman afterwards. He was going straight to the manhood. Yeah, the league might have something to say about that. Yeah, in, in the year 2020, that's not quite the way you should go about it. If you want to diss him, if you want to have a little fun on social media, but then you're going to make the ladies out there angry too, and you're going to make a lot of guys who are evolved in their mental thought processes from saying, come on, dude, come on, dude. There's a better way, a more cerebral way, a smarter way, but that it's old school to attack his manhood, so I, I I see it and I understand why he did it. Well, it's like 1945. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the way fellows would rip on each other back then. You know, it doesn't show a, a whole lot of uh, evolution to the current day. Uh, and it's a bad look for the team. I'm, the association may have something to say about that. And, uh, you know, uh, there could be a punishment or a slap on the wrist of some sort. Or you want to get, you're mad in the moment and you want to yell that at him, like maybe in the hallway, but not in front of TV cameras in the post game press conference. That's probably not the way to do it. And I, well, you're getting on Twitter too, and you yeah. can actually not click send or post. You know, the, the other thing is the, the sell the team chant. 
out of this. Is, I want that. I want him to sell the team. I wish James Dolan was not the owner of the Knicks. It's amusing, and it's even more amusing because he gets so butthurt about it. Yeah, he lets it bother him. It's almost like you they're doing it for reaction to Jim Dolan because Jim Dolan will react. A lot of other owners or whatnot, executives, coaches, they're not going to react to that because they understand, they get it. It's kind of part of it. And if he's not self-aware enough to recognize what a horrible, horrible organization the Knicks are, and since he's the owner, it's all going to fall at his feet. The buck stops with him. But he's not self-aware. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get how awful they are. It's terrible. It's it's just, it sucks being a Knicks fan. It really does. And to hear him talk, I think I heard him say not so long ago that nobody understands what it's like to be him and oh, to be a trust fund wah, wah, kid wah. who ha, you know owns a sports team and poor me and my billions of dollars and i'm like dude nobody's gonna relate to that not no that's, one that's that's not a tactic that's gonna get you any sympathy or empathy one percent of one percent of one percent can understand what you've been going through your whole life that's nonsense so a little bit of reaction to the next the next fight. I thought this pretty much sums it up. Well, it's like what did we learn last week? What was it last Tuesday night with the Kansas Kansas State game and in the block there late and then stand then Sylvia D'Souza standing over the K State player. Like all of these things are preventable. And it's not just, oh, it's the heat of the moment of competition. The game was over at that point. And, you know, what an ugly night for the Knicks. You've got their fans chanting, sell the team. Like, also. That's not am, going to happen, by the way. James Dolan this? is never selling no, the team. I'm sorry, not. Knicks fans. It's like Cowboy fans wanting Jerry Jones for a decade and a half to sell the team. It's never going to happen. But, I mean, it's just like there's that. There's Marcus Morris's comments about John ja Morant that are incredibly misogynistic and awful. Um, this is not a good look. Not a good look at all for the Knicks. Although, I mean, I probably am not a proponent for fighting in basketball or brawls, but Jay Crowder should have never taken that shot. He should have no, never stolen the inbounds pass. That was silly. You're up 18 with 48 seconds to go. Just take it on home. You, you, you got the win on the road. Hit the showers. Pretty much echoing our sentiments. But, of course, it would have to be the Knicks. Because who else bought the Knicks? See, now, it's funny, this this uh, sort of evolution I've seen over the last couple of weeks. Because you were feeling pretty good about them two, three weeks ago. Nick, are you feeling good about them now? It's, it's I don't know, maybe the wheels are coming off the wagon again? They, they rode away for a couple of weeks with Mike Miller, and then it was like the toxicity just crept back in there. Like, like he couldn't, he was, he was coaching in the D League, and then he came to the Knicks, and he wasn't the man. So for some, some reason, he maybe avoided it for a couple of weeks. But I assume maybe James Dolan came into the office to talk to him, and then that just toxic stench of Dolan overtook the team again. It had to be. I mean, it's just the most Knicks thing ever to just be like, get our hopes up with Mike Miller and all this stuff. And just, he's a good coach. He's the guy to turn it around. Uh, no, I wasn't even gone. expecting they'd get to the playoffs. It was just more like play competent basketball. Gone as soon as we had it. Yeah. It, I mean, it was it was here for an instant and then poof, it just vanished and disappeared. And it's back to a dumpster fire again.
the Nick. most accurate word to describe or the most accurate two words to describe the New York Knicks, a dumpster fire. Because we hadn't heard you talk much on the Knicks no. since you were feeling good about it maybe three weeks ago. Have you seen what's been happening in the last week and a half? It's, no, weeks? It's, yeah, it's it's depressing. I, I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, ah, it's bad enough. It's like my Cleveland Browns, dude. It's just there's just certain fan bases that suffer. It's just merciless. There's no end in sight. It's not even like there's any end in sight. It's They didn't even rebuild or tank the right way last year, and it's not working again this year. And then the contracts that they sign are terrible. Oh, I'm done. Let's move on. We're going to take a break. <laughs> you know what? There's a big game. It's called the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about that next. We'll take a quick break on the Sportsilla Show, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Hold that thought. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. On Saturday night, your Burdick Ford and Burdick Toyota basketball pregame show with Seth Goldberg and Danny Shays on Twitch only. Twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk. You'll hear that throughout the season, their pregame. Uh, 7 to 8 on Twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk Saturday night. Oh, man, the Super Bowl scoop. Can't wait for the big game for so many reasons. I know you're going to come over to the house. We're going to make some wings. There's all sorts of different foods that everybody eats, but there seems to be some favorite ones. There's a whole bunch of different beers. We've got rankings on that. There's a lot to talk about over the next couple of days, but I thought I would get you ready if you have a hard time paying attention, especially because there's two weeks in between the conference championships and the game. And it gets to the point where it's like, it's nauseating, really. Don't you think? It's like so much. Yeah, but this year it's just been totally overshadowed by Kobe Bryant. So it's just, it's not in the forefront like it normally is. Like that media week with every reporter in the world asking every dumb question in the world of every player that's there. Yeah, it really gets, it's, it gets to the absurd at some point. Also, there are people that, that can't stand the Roman numerals because they can't figure that out. And now, a message from Attention Deficit Disorder Announcer. Don't forget that Super Bowl 54 in Roman numerals is L-I-V. It looks like Liv. Which makes me think of Liv Tyler, the daughter of Steven Tyler of Aerosmith, who just rocked the Grammys. Although Liv was actually raised by Todd Rundgren. Oh, and Liv is known for her acting roles in The Lord of the Rings, Armageddon, and more recently as Brad Pitt's wife in the movie Ad Astra, which was so boring. I didn't want to live. So enjoy Super Bowl LIV or live. This has been a message from Attention Deficit disorder announcer she's actually in some show too now that's like brand new with rob Lowe. i don't know why we talk about Liv tyler she does have it's something that, to do with I think it, it's i that guess fire, that fireman show i can't remember yeah where he, we relocates and he goes to texas to lead up a fire department i can't remember what it's called from yeah whatever but some would debate aerosmith the uh, rock the grammys like i've heard a lot i didn't See it, but everybody who's talked to me about that said they were terrible. But they didn't let Joey Kramer drum with them. He wasn't supposedly in playing shape. They've made him audition to be in his own band. They wouldn't let him into the rehearsal. And then they go out there and hit all kinds of bad notes and really kind of lazy it up out there with Run DMC. Uh, It was... You know, it's just kind of silly. If you can't even play and you're keeping this guy out saying he can't play. Andy Reid doesn't 
isn't in shape either. I don't know if he's in game shape, but he's going to coach the Kansas City Chiefs against Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan looks to be in a little bit better shape. This is the second time Andy Reid's been in the Super Bowl. He obviously lost before with Philadelphia. That was back in 2004. 77 wins with KC, though. So it's not bad. And it's funny because if you look at a couple of other breakdowns, you don't realize it unless you look at the numbers. But Pat Mahomes, 319 out of 484 for the season, 4,031 yards, 26 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, right? Rating 105.3. Jimmy Garoppolo, who is not necessarily given the credit, he's more assumed to be almost a game manager, and they rely more on their defense in San Francisco. Look at his numbers, his passing numbers. 329 out of 476 for 3,978 yards, 27 touchdowns and 13 interceptions, a 102 rating. Now, obviously, there's probably more than double the number of interceptions, but he's still put up quite a quite a few yards, and he's thrown, actually, for one more touchdown. There is potential that San Francisco has something to offer offensively, and, I mean, they can run the ball. Raheem Mostert, you saw what he did. Well, that's the common thing you hear is that I don't know if the 49ers can keep up with that Chiefs offense. 49ers are ranked second in the NFL in scoring offense. Yes, they can. That's the point. And they're perceived to be just defense, a defense, just that defense. And Raheem Mostert had 222 yards in the last game. Holy cow. I mean, Pat Mahomes has weapons, too. Travis Kelsey obviously is a weapon. But then, you know, you've got the, the Honey Badger. In the backfield for KC, you've got, or in the defensive back for KC, you've got Richard Sherman, you've got a couple of, you've got a couple of DBs that can make some big plays defensively as well. That's another thing. Who's to say Pat Mahomes doesn't make a mistake at a critical time? What if it is a shootout type of a game? I actually have heard that being a possibility from some people. Maybe it's not going to be San Francisco's defense being the team that shuts down Pat Mahomes. Maybe it's not. Lewis Riddick thinks shootout. If he gets into this kind of shootout, obviously I think it plays to the favor of the Kansas City Chiefs because Patrick's different. Patrick's on a different level. We've known that. We've known that since the first time he stepped on the field. But if Jimmy had to get into a shootout, he showed. He went down to the Superdome. We all know what the Superdome is like. We all know what that environment is like. We all know what it's like when Drew Brees and Michael Thomas are on a roll. And he said, you know what? I'll see that throw and I'll raise you one. I'll raise you another one. And if you look at their perimeter players, if you say, look, I thought you, I'll give you Debo Samuel, I'll give you Kendrick Bourne, I'll give you George Kittle, and I'll give you Emmanuel Sanders, you think you can win a shootout? I'd be like, hell yeah, I can yeah. win a shootout. What do you think? Well, I think they've got an explosive offense, yes. But we said that about the Ravens, and they ran into a team that can run the ball and keep that offense off the field, and that's key. And I think Raheem Mostert can do that. Chiefs have gone with a pass play Almost 62% of the time this season. Meanwhile, 49ers have an NFL high 57 sacks this season. They're the seventh team in the last 15 seasons to enter a Super Bowl with more than 55 sacks. And the previous six all won the Super Bowl. Wow. So basically, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line will be a key or Pat Mahomes being able to make plays when flushed out of the pocket, doing a little bit a little bit more with his legs. He does have the ability to throw from on the run or outside of the pocket. That's clear with his athletic ability and a great arm. Nick L's in the studio with us here on the Sports Illustrated Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. So what do you think? What do you see? Is it, how does this break down in your mind? Have you analyzed it at all, or are we hitting all the spots for you? What's your general observation of the game on Sunday? I mean, the last two times 
I I went against Scoop's better judgment. I lost. <laughs> Me too. But I'm going to make that one for three. Okay. okay. The Kansas City Chiefs are winning the Super Bowl. You think so too? I think the the Niners defense it's excellent, but it's just there's some about Pat Mahomes, man. He's and yeah, we said that about Lamar Jackson, but this I think Pat Mahomes has the stuff to be shake off the nerves early and just be what he needs to be. Is there something to be said for the experiences of last year helping him this year? They always say you've got to lose before you can win. You learn things from that. Sometimes you learn more from that. Is that a possibility with Pat Mahomes where he's sure. just he's ready now? And and I just really feel like Andy Reid is the right coach to lead him to where he needs to go. He lets He's changed his coaching style. He lets Pat Mahomes play. He realizes what he has with Pat Mahomes that he hasn't necessarily had before. Even I know with D-Nab at the time he was special in some things that he could do, but this is something that you haven't seen before. Are we forgetting about all the playoff games that the Chiefs have lost at Arrowhead? Yeah. Are we forgetting about all the games that Andy Reid has lost as the head coach of that t- team in big moments? Now, they're not playing in Arrowhead. They're playing in Miami, and they got the rookie of the year, Nick Bosa, on the other side of the field. And he's been, he's been getting a lot of sacks. You know, and that's key. I think you, that is the key. Do they get to Mahomes? Do they sack him? Do they rattle him? Or does Mahomes break free and do that Mahomes thing of turning the broken play into a 20-yard gain somehow? Because that's where he gets you. That, that's the unknown sort of thing. Is can he break free and make that broken play a big play? Yeah, it, it's interesting. If he gets popped a few times, you know, a handful of times, say in the first half, might get a little happy feet. Might turn the ball over. Might make a bad decision with a throw. The body starts to hurt a little bit. Yeah, it, it affects things. If he's able to escape the pressure and they don't smack him around back there, well, then in the second half, as they tire. He's going to have a little bit more to offer. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting game. I just, uh, last year stunk. The game stunk. This year, I don't think that's going to be the case. However, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator, now the head coach of the 49ers, when Atlanta dropped that 28 to 3 lead, which you know is a prop bet. A hundred bucks could pay out the, up to $10,000 if that scenario happens again. But I think Kyle Shanahan learned a little something from that too. It's kind of funny. I wanted to share with you his words on that possibility. Only he knows, you know, what the true lessons are. But, you know, look, 49ers were dominating that entire game. You know, the Packers made a little run at the end, but the game itself was never really in question. And yet, you know, Kyle didn't smile until the thing was over. And after the game, he said, you know, I, I know better than to ever count on a football team until the clock hit zero. And that, to me, shows that he's learned something from that game and that that game still haunts him and that. It's something that he still carries with him, but in a positive way. I apologize. Commentary on that happening happening to Kyle Shanahan. He's learned something from that for sure, Scoop. Well, that's a nightmare. That's a wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat the rest of your life thing. You're going to have that haunt you. Whatever you do, whatever, even he almost has to have a whole bunch of success from here on out. To, to maybe start to wash that away. Well, maybe if they take the place of the Texans who got that big lead, they'll protect it better than the Texans did. He has a similar, he has similar experience to look back on to prevent that. Cause then the Chiefs just, the onslaught was on after that and they, they were unstoppable 
on the way to 51 points. So, I mean, there's so many scenarios. You don't know what's going to happen until they play the game. I just want it to be a more entertaining game than last year's because everything about last year's Super Bowl was bad. Bad game, bad halftime, bad commercials. It was such a letdown. And although I think the 49ers are going to win this game, I would rather be wrong and be entertained. You know what I mean? I want to have a good time watching this game. I don't want to be bored and sitting. oh, my God, are any of these teams going to ever do something? Which is how we sat through that whole Super Bowl last year. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. I learned something uh, interesting about Kobe Bryant, actually. I want to share that with you next. Uh, interesting story also happening in Major League Baseball that we want to touch on before the SportsZilla show is over today. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. It's the SportsZilla show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. So here we are on the Sportszilla show, ESPN Radio. I've got something that I learned about Kobe Bryant that I wanted to bring to your attention. But before we get to the NBA, and I have one last comment on the Knicks, by the way, to wrap that up when we get there. But I wanted to, to bring it back to the Super Bowl for just a second because we had the prize money listed. And that's, I mean, he's still getting paid for this game. See what it was, 118 or 124, somewhere in there. I've seen two conflicting reports on what it's settled on this year. But each player gets about 120 k on the winning team. And what does the losing team get? It's, I think it's around 70. Let me see. Right. I don't have that in front of me. I think it was like 68. Okay, well, uh, 62. I've got it right here. 62,000. Super Bowl champions are roughly around 120,000. AFC, NFC Conference Championship games, all players earn 56000 In the divisional round, they all earn 31000 Wildcard division winners earn 31000 The other wildcard players earn 28000 That's where the money's at. I mean, that is a, a year's salary and some for the vast majority of people. Just what you get paid if, you, if you're in the wildcard round. I wonder how many Bills fans will watch Sammy Watkins this weekend and just kind of wonder about what if... What if? You know, like, because that's the one thing the Bills really needed was uh, some more targets, you know? Yeah. Does it does it bum you out if you're a Bills fan to see him now where he is that the Bills haven't been in the last time you were four years in a row? You lost all four of them? Yeah, that's got to bug you a little bit, I would think. The Browns and the Lions are now the only two teams to have not played in a Super Bowl. And the longest span of years since uh, an NFL championship. The Jets uh, are up there as well, but of course they had their Broadway Joe Super Bowl that they won when he called the called the game. Yeah, there's all sorts of interesting facts that they dig together and you can find them all online every year about the Super Bowl. There's all sorts of new foods like we said in the beers and the new prop bets. Some prop bets stay the same, they're kind of generic. And then there's others that are tailored on, like, who's singing the national anthem or what teams are in there. And it's just kind of fascinating. And some of them are so ridiculous that if you actually take that prop bet, the amount of money that you can win is, in some cases, almost life-changing. It's like a ridiculous amount of money for for what the bet is. For 100 bucks, which I suppose almost anybody could scrape together if they really needed to, the payouts being, you know, $10,000. Think about that. See, I don't, I, I don't like that. That's not enough of a payoff for for me to to 
throw a hundred bucks at something. Well, you got the big boy. I want, radio I, I want longer odds than that. If I'm going to throw, you know, I'd rather throw ten dollars at it and have ridiculously long odds. See, Not really have a hope of winning, but that long shot thing, if it happens, pays me, you know, a hundred grand or a million dollars on on ten bucks. What's the acceptable payout on your ten dollar wager for some Super Bowl prop bet? It's got to be a hundred thousand, then. Well, I don't, you know, it'd be fun to win, you know, ten to one odds, win a hundred bucks on ten bet, but it, that whole Kyle Shanahan twenty eight to three thing, like a hundred bucks to win. 10,000. 10 grand. I wouldn't, that doesn't interest me. I'd rather bet on what the color of the Gatorade is. Everybody's just looking for something Super Bowl related with two weeks in between to focus on on a daily basis to get you through to pass the time over two long weeks. I just and don't it, think either that there's any way in HE double toothpicks that that stupid 28 to 3 thing happens again. No, no. That, I just don't think it's possible. Just like if you if you statistically broke that down, I think it would have to be almost the, the improbability of that happening is it's it's incomprehensible. It's just not going to happen. If I'm going to bet 100 bucks on something, I at least want to think I got a chance or I just want it to be so entertainingly Foolish and wonderful that I, I'm, you know, I'm excited by it. But that 28 to 3 Shanahan bet, that, that doesn't jazz me at all. We still got a few days to go. It's time for the pre, 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 pre Super Bowl warm up moment with more completely unnecessary information. <laughs> This morning, Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes ate two eggs over medium with a side of hash browns, four pieces of bacon, and two pieces of sourdough toast. Immediately following, he used the men's room for approximately seven and a half minutes. And that's your pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-Super Bowl warm-up moment. And that's, that, that's what Sunday is like leading up to the game, really. If, all day. Like all day, that coverage that they have where you, you know, get all these human interest stories and Oh, my God. And it goes on and on and on forever. I don't know how people sit and watch that all day. We have actually taken many people have taken time out of their life to debate the death of Mr. Peanut. Think about that. That has been part of the public discourse and the narrative and the discussion. It's a stunt. He's coming back. Of course now, he is. I'd bet $100 on that. Of course he is. I'd bet 100 bucks that Mr. Peanut is coming back. Something Kobe related as far as uh, his tragic passing. I wanted to talk about this and. I mean, obviously, there's just so much content out there if you were a Kobe fan or if you're feeling it or whatnot. But I, I just thought I should share this here on the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. It's Rain and Scoop. And Kobe, he he basically granted over 200 make-a-wish requests. You not hear about stuff like that. Like John Cena, the wrestler, has granted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. But you never heard about that. You hear all this stuff in the narrative before he passed away about Kobe Bryant did this, did that, what he's done since retirement, what he did in his 20 year career. But I never heard about the make a wish requests and all of the just all of the families and people and lives that he touched behind the scenes. That's what being philanthropic or giving back is all about. And that was a nice thing to read out of of the pain and suffering that his family is feeling and the, the other seven families and, and the other victims of the helicopter crash. It was just a nice thing to see that he was doing that the whole time. I, I thought that was a nice part of this story. There's a lot of stories out there that people have shared over the last week with regarding their interactions with Kobe and how he could be a wonderfully considerate, warm, 
interested person in their lives in the couple of moments that they would spend together. I read this piece by uh, a Cleveland, originally from Cleveland, a, a comic out in L.A. Uh, he's working at a hotel where Kobe is staying as he's going through this thing with his wife. They were kind of separated, and it was right by the Staples Center, this hotel. And Kobe would always have somebody walk him from the Staples Center to the hotel where he's staying. So it winds up being this Cleveland-based comic who's out there living in his car, never really told anybody he was living in his car, trying to get his comedy career going, and how Kobe genuinely was concerned about this guy and talked to him, and they were they both that were having marital problems, the comic getting a divorce. Kobe managed to keep it together after it was all said and done. But just the interest that Kobe showed in this guy's life stuck with him. And, you know, he's like, he didn't have to even give me a minute of his time. But he was always very concerned and interested in my life. And that's the sort of stuff we're hearing about Kobe over the last over, five days. Over 200 make-a-wish requests for Kobe Bryant. Basketball is something that will come and will eventually go. The beauty in that is trying to use that time to inspire others, to provide some sort of escape for them. I think that's something that lives well beyond you know, the game of basketball, and it's probably most important. Thought it was, uh, of course, a very heartbreaking and sad to read uh, the statement released by his widow, Vanessa, in relation to losing her husband and daughter. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because that's... Oof. Well, the LeBron statement, Jack and Jerry West, it's just it's heartbreaking to see their grief, you know, and uh, it's it's just powerful stuff. You know, you have to step away from it after a while because it's just it's so emotionally overwhelming. Uh, they had a report that Kobe and his wife Vanessa had an agreement that they would never fly in a helicopter together, pre- now, presumably to ensure that the family would be taken care of in case anything like this actually happened. And that, that is that that's that just weirds me out, it, man. It's that creepy. Is, yeah, that is next level creepy right there. Like I, I, I get why they would do it, but to hear that now in the wake of all this, you know, it's it's just creepy. It's like foreshadowing like, did you know, oh, my God. Spencer did with Dinwiddie of the Nets going from eight to twenty six. A lot of players changing numbers, Scoop. Quinn Cook of the Lakers, he had number two, which is uh, Kobe's daughter's number. He switched into 28 to honor both of them. Alec Burks of the Warriors going from 8 to 20. Kemba Walker wears 8, but he says he's thinking about switching or possibly keeping the number as a tribute to Kobe. I've heard a few players discuss that narrative. I mean, the list goes Zaire Smith, Jalil Okafor, Markeith Morris, Mo Harkless, Mason Plumley. A lot of players just contemplating or making number changes in tribute to Kobe. The Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio. This is 97.7 and 100.1. Be right back. Something on Major League Baseball you might not know about. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. Saturday night, it's the Verdict Lexus and Verdict BMW Basketball postgame show after SU Duke. Seth Everett. And Eric Devendorf recapping Saturday night's action. They'll take your calls and bring you Coach Beheim's press conference Saturday night. They made some changes uh, benefiting charity in honor of Kobe Bryant and tribute and all that for the All-Star game. That information's out there. Perhaps we'll cover that in a little bit more detail tomorrow. Uh, one last thing on the NBA. I, I did promise that I would just share one thing related to the Knicks before we're done. 
And this just pretty much sums it up. Nick L's in studio with us today. You'll agree with me, buddy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your New York pieces of dog. Thank you to Family Guy for the evergreen episode that is just correct. Like, you can watch that, and, and anytime it comes back on television as a, as a repeat. Somehow it's topical. Year after year after year after year. Yeah, you said it was palpable in here, the disgust, when we were talking about that earlier. Yeah, the both you guys, you could, you could just see the exasperation oozing from your pores. We did promise one thing Major League Baseball related. Maybe you don't know about this, but dra- a DraftKings player filed a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball and a couple teams because of this sign-stealing scandal. So their face, uh, fantasy baseball contest from 2017 when the Astros first used the electronic equipment to steal the signs, well, were tainted by cheating and compromise. That's according to Christopher Olson. What do you think of this litigious guy? He's a Massachusetts guy. And is saying that uh, it, the quote from the suit is wrongful promotion of fantasy baseball wagering competitions that they caused to be and knew or should have known were corrupt and dishonest. Now, baseball just into this partnership with DraftKings back in 2013. Look, I think it's a good class action lawsuit. They're going to get some traction with this. And I don't know that this will be the last class action lawsuit. If I'm a Houston Astros season ticket holder, I might be part of a class action suit if some lawyer uh, starts to round up season ticket holders because it's not what you bought the ticket for. And if you're wagering on sports and it's fixed, you got a legitimate argument, you know. You really do. That's the thing. It's it's not a frivolous lawsuit. There's some merit to it in some senses. He, uh, Olson, plaintiff Olson and his fellow DraftKings Kings contestants made wagers on DraftKings fantasy baseball contests that they thought were based on the honest performance of Major League Baseball's players. That's a pretty telling statement. And it, like I said, it has merit to it. I mean, MLB uh, publicly invested in DraftKings. So there's kind of a partnership there, too. So this is a delicate little balancing act. And I wonder what comes of this. I, I mean, a year before the partnership, DraftKings raked in over $300 million in daily fantasy sports betting entry fees. Jeez. My guess is it big gets, money here. It, my guess is it gets delayed as much as possible by the lawyers of Major League Baseball. So it'll wind up taking, uh, you know, not that I know, but I'm going to guesstimate 18 months to adjudicate this and figure it out. And there will be discussions all along the way about settling this. Can we just settle this and make this go away? What can we write you a check for? How just, much do you want? We don't want the public any, we don't want any more traction on this story. We and, don't want it to have lags. We just want it to just fizzle away. I'm sure the lawyers are already reaching out for other people who bet with DraftKings to join the class action lawsuit. Well, here's where it gets interesting. The Boston Red Sox are also defendants in this suit. Yeah. So he's going after the Astros and the Red Sox. And I guess they're going to have to deal accordingly. Maybe you'll hear more about it, or maybe they do just get in the back room, work out a deal, and it all goes away. But if they get enough people that want some money, you never know. It keeps going on. You're on the block in just a few minutes. We're getting to the top of the hour. That means Brent Axe is next. It's been the Sportsilla Show. We'll see you tomorrow on Friday at 3 for Scoop and Rain. And Nick Ailes, the depressed Knicks fan. This is ESPN Radio at 97.7 and 100.1.